Welcome back. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and I thank you, Lord, that you give us the gift of life. You've given us a mission to fulfill while we're here on earth. Lord, give us the grace to know how to discern that mission and to live it well. Whatever the gifts you've given to us, Lord, give us the grace to put them at your service. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today on the program, we're going to talk to someone who has done just that. Let's dive into the interview. Well, I want to welcome to the program, Eric Jenis. Eric is a composer. He is a pianist and an inspirational speaker. Joining me today from the other side of the country, all the way, I think you're in Kentucky. Are you home in Kentucky? Yes. You yes, are. That's correct. awesome. But beautiful yeah. weather where you're at, Eric. Welcome yeah. to the program. Thank you so much. Great to be with you, Thomas. Yeah, I love it. I love that enthusiasm. Uh, Eric, I, 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 when I think about composers and, and, and pianists who perform this classical form and style of music, I don't think of Kentucky. So yeah. I don't know what the, <laughs> what's that all about? Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's God's sense of humor. Um, okay, so really, uh, the, the way it started out was I'm from Toronto, Canada originally. And so I studied piano performance and um, always had a great love for performing and a great love for composing. Even when I was a little child, you know, sitting down in front of a, you know, an 88 key piano was like a boy playing with Lego. Like it was endless what you could do. And it was so thrilling. And so ever since I was a child, my piano teacher would say, hey, you know, I'm going to give you some Bach and Beethoven to learn. And I'm thinking, well, why would I learn them when I can write my own, you know? <laughs> and so um, and so. Thomas, when I got my piano degree, the last note I hit, I have never played anybody else's material but mine. You know, I write, I perform, I practice, I rehearse, and I sort of, I, I, I just work on my own music. And I have for 30 years, and I'm really honored to do so. And so I, I live in Kentucky because it's, it's, first of all, I need to be near the population because I drive everywhere. I can't, I mean, I fly. But I have to strategically fly because I have a lot of gear. And so I have to be so, you know, near the, the, the greatest population. And, you know, Louisville, Kentucky is right by everywhere's an easy drive. Chicago's easy. You know, Cincinnati's easy. All the, there's like many, many major cities that are very easy to connect with. So that's why Kentucky. That's really awesome. I, I, in some ways, what you've just said out loud, and folks, I want you to listen to this, is that Eric is saying, I'm going to put my life at the service of my mission. And if yes. my mission is to reach people, I need to be in a place where I can be accessible to those right. who would invite me to come. And that's yep. a very sacrificial thing. That's not yep. something that people first think of. Like right. it wasn't, oh, I moved to Kentucky because I've got family here and, and the weather's great. And it was my I dream. It was, no, right. I, I, I want to be at the service of the mission that God has mm. for me. So first yeah. of all, that's very beautiful, Eric. I love that. Thank you. And you know, Thomas, I'll be honest with you. I, I, that, that's very well put. And the reason is, is that when, you know, when you think of music, you think, yeah, well, that's nice. You know, it's just music. And a lot of people have this image that, you know, it's, it's music, but what's the big deal. And that's a very modern way of thinking. And that's what, what you just spoke of is 90% of my fight. Thomas, I'll, I, I've gone through a great deal of sacrifice to do the work that I do because I believe in the impact of music. And because I truly also believe that our modern world, sadly, and regrettably, has forgotten what the impact of music is. You know, we, we sort of, like when you think about it right now, and just sort of to respond to it, I would do 10 times that. I do all night drives to play at, a, at schools. Like for example, even on this upcoming tour, I'm in Bend one night, 
and I'm, you know, six hours away the next morning, I'll be at, you know, Pelican Bay, super maximum security prison the next morning, you know, and you think, well, why isn't there easier ways to make a living? Much easier ways to make a living. But that's because I really believe in the impact of what, what music is. You know, we live in a day and age, Thomas, unlike any other. Our young have the world library of music at their fingertips. We've never had that in the history of the human condition. You know, when you think about when, when I mean, I'm 56 when I was a kid and you wanted to hear music, it was a big deal. You had to save your money. You had to save your $20, get to the record store, which was inconvenient, and then take that record home and put it on a turntable. And that basically was inaccessible. You didn't walk around with headphones. We never had that luxury. And now our young have the world library of music at our fingertips. And it's time we ask, well, what does that mean? What's the impact of music? What is, what is that? What's going on? Because last year, Thomas, the, the most influential or the most, let's say, um, famous piece of music was a piece that had such vulgarity in it. I won't even repeat the title. And yet our third graders knew that piece over and they heard it over and over and over again. That's formation. And so when you think of music that way, you think, okay, it's influencing. If it's, if it's cynical, our young are going to drink that cynical attitude. If it's, if it's pessimistic, they're going to be all over that pessimistic way of looking at life. If it's sad and morose and without hope and, and despairing, they're going to adopt that. And so that's not funny. So we think, well, what is the impact of music? So Thomas, I believe that music is incredibly impactful. In fact, Confucius once said, if you want to know the morality of a nation, let me hear the music. That was it. And that was thousands of years ago. So if he was right, or even partly right, then it's time that our young people got, you know, a dose of what music was meant to be, and got a dose of what music is doing to them. So I'm, when I go and play in schools, I'm very hard on that message. And it's very clear what it's about because I take a world-class violinist, cellist, and a singer, and it's and I'm very, very direct. So I've thrown my life at playing into prisons and rehab centers and inner city schools and places that don't get, you know, that level of musicianship. But but that's what it's all about. So when you mentioned about, you know, um, you know, sacrificing for your work, I've thrown my life at it, Thomas, and nothing short, absolutely nothing short of throwing my whole life at that. Eric, uh, I love what you were saying there. And you said so many things. I'm going to kind of tease out a few of them here. Um, let's, let's let's dive deeper into them because you said something that I don't ordinarily hear. And that um, was a reflection on the meaning of music, the impact of music. I think uh, the way that uh, early theologians and even philosophers would talk about the the movement of the stars across the sky and across the heavens. They would talk about the the music of the spheres as if that there was something that was uh, associated with the essence of music in the form of harmony and the form of the weightedness of how different elements would fit together and flow together. You know, I've got kids at a um, classical school and they're learning not just to sing songs and not even just to read music, but they're learning how to harmonize in the performance of great hymns, mm. hymns that have withstood the ages and that mm. carry a message that is weighty. And it's, it's as if the beautiful object, the beautiful truth deserves to be expressed in a beautiful way. And yeah. I think, uh, it, it's as if uh, music is a, a a carrier, a bearer of 
the weightiness, the, the, the glory of the very message that it's conveying. Is that overstated mm-hmm. or how would you build mm-hmm. off of that? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's so well put. I'm going to just sort of, can, I'm going to sort of work backwards, Thomas, if I might. I'm so glad that your children are having that experience. Most people are not. Um, most people in very, very sophisticated schools are not. So I'll give you an example. Um, and then I'm going to talk about, um, you know, some of the things you hit on. Um, your children are getting a diet of beautiful music and it's becoming part of their bones. And that's wonderful. I have seen where people go to schools like that and that's that's great. And they can categorize it. So, for example, on the one hand, they'll... Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go and, and study music and sing about music and learn about music and be able to write essays on it. And on the other hand, think, okay, I'm, now I'm going to go let down my hair and indulge in things that you would never in a million years want them to listen to. But they can actually sort of mentally, psychologically, and emotionally separate the two. And I'm thinking, wait, th- these th- these two things are absolutely opposed to one another. But, you know, this is why... A lot of the time, Thomas, I go in and I speak directly about, you know, sort of what music is doing, because a lot of great kids going to great schools are indulging in things that you would think, well, no, not my kid and certainly not this school. And, you know, when you dig deep enough, you think, yeah, it's it's there. Um, and, you know, I'll go and play in an inner city, for example, Chicago recently. I played at a school where these children are paying sixty thousand dollars a year to go to the school. And then I, the next day I played at, a, at a, an inner city school, at very dangerous. And really, um, they were listening to the same music. They're playing the same video games. They're, you know, sort of watching and binging the same series and all the Netflix and all that. So their formation to the core is very much the same. And you would almost argue, therefore, what's the difference? Well, opportunity academically and sophistication. But the core of formation sadly is indistinguishable and i think it it should it could be indistinguishable but much higher Mm -hmm. and so we hear a lot of things you know you know sort of with regards to music i don't think they're overstated plato said if you want to govern a nation you don't need the laws all you need is the music that's not an overstatement that's not an exaggeration he is not trying to do shock to get your attention he means it and you know when i look at, at Statements like that, you know, Socrates, music is a moral law. It gives soul to the universe and wings to the mind and flight to the imagination and a charm and a gaiety to life and to everything. Is that overstated? Or is music just background to dinner? Is it background to my video games, you know? And I think, no, it is It is so much more. Now, you and I can discuss that sort of at length and, 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 and go through, you know, I, I see so much you know, when I'm on the road and I see so much what the what the uh, in in the prisons and I can tell you story after story of the impact of music. But when I go into the high schools, I have a little exercise and I talk to them about the impact. And some of the greatest things is I get a lot of letters and emails from kids who are, you know, 16, 17. And they'll say, thank you for coming. I'm now going to throw out my playlist. I'm very well aware of how it's influencing me because I show them in, in, in concert. So what you're suggesting about how do you get it from, you know, talking about stars and talking about things that are almost untouchable and so beautiful and unreachable. How do you get it and sing it right through their soul? And that's my goal, 
is to go there and lovingly hit them between that, you know, between the eyes and say, what you are putting into your heart, mind and soul through this music, you are affecting how you look at God, how you look at yourself and how you look at each other, how you look at God's gifts on this earth, how you look at women all through this. Is that what you want for formation? And so that's really the goal, Thomas. And so, but first, my thought is, there is nothing your children and my children and my grandchildren and your grandchildren can't listen to. They have full access to it. The question is, do they have the formation and they have the belief that these things have an effect on them and therefore they have learned to put sort of their critical mind and critical you know, questions to the test when it comes to what goes into their heart, minds and souls. Most don't. Most go with what's cool and yeah, it's no big deal. It's just music and yeah, that's fun and and we have all this terminology which has no meaning. All we're all we're doing is turning off, you know, our ability to critically think as to what's good. And you know, the question isn't isn't cool. The question is, is this good for my soul? Does this have an effect on how I see God? And does this have an effect on how I see myself and the dignity of myself? Those are very, very important questions that we don't associate with music. And we really need to start, especially now that we have the World Library of Music available to all of us. Wow. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Uh, that's Eric Jenis talking with me today. Eric, uh, his last name is spelled G-E-N-U-I-S. You can see it if you're watching the video version of this interview with Eric. You can see his website is his name, Eric, E-R-I-C, and then Jenis is G-E-N-U-I-S, Dot com, ericjenis.com. I'll mention this again as the interview continues. And there you can learn about his music, where he's going to be in concert, how to book him, and then Concerts for Hope. So many things that there is to discuss about this. Now, Eric is going to be at the uh, here in Spokane uh, coming up in just over a week, a week from actually a week from uh, today on Tuesday on yeah. May 23rd. He's going to be doing a benefit concert for the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame. And that's at the Boxcar Room right in downtown Spokane. You can uh, get information about that on his website or at the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame's website that there's the concert uh, where you can click on the, the button right there to get tickets for that event. We'll come back to that as well. Eric, um, you were starting to weave together something that made me think of the gospel, no, no, not the gospel, the first reading on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, it was about Philip going to Samaria, preaching the gospel and performing these signs and wonders that grabbed everyone's attention. And he was casting out demons. He was uh, healing those that were sick. And it was signs and wonders that accompanied the proclamation of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And the way that you were talking about your performances, your concerts, it struck me that the message you bring has power, has weightiness to it, 
because of what the people experience. It's as if the the music itself, the music that you've composed and that is performed so professionally with you and the piano, the cellist, the violinist, the the, the singer, the uh, the soloist, uh, that you have this combination of this rich interaction of voices that that's a wonder. It, it's a sign. It's a display of then the message that you bring. And I think that that's probably the reason why people, they don't just hear you as a preacher. They experience you as a performer so that when you then step in to speak, all of a sudden they're like, I'm going to delete my playlist. I'm going to go after great, beautiful, magnificent music. Yes. And you know what? For me, that's right. It's a combination of the two. So in concert, I talk about music. I talk about the history of music. And then I talk very personally about things that affect me with regards to composing the music. So it's like it's as though let's go down a journey of what made me compose this specific piece. Let's go on a journey to all like I've played over a thousand concerts in prisons now, Thomas. And as long as they keep letting me out, I keep going back in, you know, <laughs> and um, and so we have, you know, I have all that wealth to, to, you know, it's like the Shawshank Redemption. I live that scene every time we perform, you know, and I really look forward to sharing it in Spokane. But you're right. When If I was to come and give a lecture on music, people are like, yeah, okay, it's a lecture on music. Um, but when you play for them and then you speak of music, the combination of the two really zings to the heart. And so I'm very, very blessed and very fortunate. So I can go and play for the classical elite. And then the next day play for a youth prison where they don't know a violin from a hockey stick. But you don't need to know that to know what moves you. So one of my most profound concerts, Thomas, I was playing for a youth prison. And I'll tell this concert, uh, this story in concert uh, next week. And that is I was playing for 300 youth. And one of the one of the toughest things I've ever seen. These were kids that were tried as adults. Can you imagine being in a room with 315 year olds that were all tried and convicted as adults? They're all going away for 30 plus years, all of them, you know? And when you look at them, they look like kids. They look like my kids. And you think they've all done very tough things and you can tell they have no concept of what 30 years looks like. And the leader in the front row was a very heavily gang prison, Thomas. So there was extra guards. There was just a ton of stuff going on because it was a very heavily ganged area. This one, the gang leader stood up at the end of the show and wept. And he said, that violin is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Why have I never heard it before? Can you imagine a 15-year-old boy standing up in front of 300 hardened criminals to say, I'm so moved by this violin? And it's such a great question. He said, why have I never heard it before? Well, that's a very sad question because we do live in the day and age of the internet. We could have given this this boy anything we wanted. And he knows everything about all the other styles of music and all their cultures, rap, hip hop, heavy metal, screamo metal, punk rock, acid rock, alternative rock, grunge rock. You know, he knows all about it. And yet he knows nothing about music that uplifts him. And maybe this is the first time he's been exposed to beauty that's elevated his soul. And all you could do is weep for the boy. And he said, why have I never heard this before? I went up to the boy and I hugged him. And I said, because I never bothered to come in yet. I never bothered to come in before this. And I am so sorry, you know? And so I look at this, Thomas, and I think there is so much work to be done, not just in the education of these children, but in the foundation 
in the in the in the true formation of them. Like I, I don't just want them to memorize these things or memorize these concepts about you know music affects you. I want them to feel it. I want them to live it. I want them to be shaken by it. And if they're well aware of that, they're more able to make a decision that's appropriate. It's kind of like our beautiful faith. If they really know our faith from a young age and they're able to feel it and they're able to sort of sense it and be sort of be told over and over about the stories of the saints who love God and who love their faith and who fight, you know, vice and over and over, then it's more meaning than just an intellectual pursuit. And and sort of that's that's the sort of the fight right now. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I'm not after going to impress people in concert. Um, my Carnegie Hall is everywhere that I set up, be it in a prison, be it under a bridge playing for homeless people. You know, I'll, I'll play for them all day long. But my goal is to not just go and entertain or to make them feel good for an hour. My goal is to elevate their humanity and ultimately God willing, give them an experience that elevates them to think about matters of who they really are. And that's made in the image of God and the beautiful, beautiful aspect of their dignity. You know, Eric, uh, talking again with Eric Genis, uh, Genis is spelled G-E-N-U-I-S, Genis, ericgenis.com is his website where you're going to get lots of great information, including uh, tickets for his upcoming benefit concert, benefiting the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame. That yeah. website's chestertonacademyofnotredame.com where you can get tickets. Again, I'll mention that again. Uh, Eric. Everybody come to that show, all ages. Parents should bring their kids. And if they don't like the show, I'll, I'll pay them their money back. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Eric, I, I, I want to I talk a little bit more about that. And then I want to I focus in a little bit on your passion for classical schools and Chesterton Academies. I know that's something that you have that is near to your heart. I'd love to know yeah. why and what difference does that make for you that you'd come out to support this Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame, uh, this Chesterton Academy in Spokane. So uh, and it's this, it's that you were talking about gifting, the, the gifting that, that the Lord has obviously given to you um, as a composer, as a performer, and as a speaker, right? And you've got this passion. Uh, St. Pope Paul VI said that today, more than ever, people listen not to teachers, but to witnesses. And if they're mm. listening to teachers, it's because they're, first of all, witnesses. Let me mm. let me draw that into what I've seen in um, in in music connected to ministry. And it's this. It could be easy to rely on gifting without holiness. Mm -hmm. People who are extraordinarily gifted at performing, if they lack holiness, then what the audience is left with is merely the performer and not the giver of the good gifts who gifted that performer with the gifting to be able to compose and perform and to speak. How do you stay grounded in holiness? How do mm -hmm. you pursue holiness? In, in, in other words, to be a cleansed vessel so that when the gifts are being put into, into practice, where the gifts are being called forth into, into activation, that you're a, a, a useful vessel, humbly available for Jesus and his light, his glory, 
his power to break through. And the reason I, I can even raise that question with you is that if the only thing you had was gifting on display, then people wouldn't be standing up and weeping and saying, I've, I'm so moved and, and I've got hope and, and I found life. And no, that's the Lord at work through the gifting. So yeah. is that something that you wrestle with? How do you wrestle with that? Uh, that's a great question. So here's the goal. It's I keep I keep everything right in front of me. And this it's very simple for me. Um, first of all, everything that I have is a gift from our Lord. When I see people come up like prisoners come up and hug me, one guy stands up and says, you know, I've killed over 100 people. I'll never hurt another person as long as I live. He said, um, I've had a higher encounter with my own humanity. Listen, Eric Jenis can't do that. So when I look at, at you know, this 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 ability to be able to do this work, I'm very grateful to God, but I'm very well aware, Thomas, it's a gift. The second thing I'm very well aware is, is that it's a gift from God. The third thing I'm very well aware of is that life is short. And so I think, okay, at the when you have your head on your deathbed, what are you going to be able to say? Because I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, I gave you a great gift. And I'm very well aware that this is a gift from him. And he's going to say, I gave you a gift. What did you do with it? And I really want, Thomas, I'm very well aware of that Aware of that day. And I just think, you know, when I die and stand before God, I want to be able to say, I didn't always get it right. But I really tried to be generous with what you gave me. So that's why, Thomas, I don't charge for concerts. And I do all I can to play everywhere possible. I play for big audience, sophisticated audience. And I play for broken audiences. And I play for an audience of one you know, so the key is to recognize every soul you play for, they're made in God's image. You know, I play for a lot of hurting people, Thomas. And our Lord said, what you do for the least you do for me. He didn't say the most. The most are easy to love. He said the least. So I go and I play for those who are in prison and those who are broken and those who are drug addicts and those who are homeless. And, you know, in the inner cities, I play in really tough, tough audiences. Because I'm very well aware that this is a gift from God. And I'm very well aware that when I die, it's all going to be forgotten. And I don't think about legacies. And I don't think about what people are going to say after you're gone. I don't think about that stuff. I think about right now, I have a gift. What's the best, most efficient, most effective use of my gift? And I can only speak for me. I will not speak for other people. Because other people have other things that they hope to achieve. I want to be able to say that, you know, I never said no based on money. I don't, I have no contract, you, you know, I have none of that. And I'm not putting down people who do. I'm just speaking about me. The goal is to go out and to play for everybody that wants to hear it. So I have never said no to a concert based on money, based on location, based on any of that. And so the goal is to just go and play for anybody that wants to hear. So I played for, you know, over a thousand shows in prison and no prison has ever given me a dime. Thomas, an inmate gave me $5 but no prison has ever given me a dime, you know? Wow. And so, and so if I ever, if I w waited till there was money in the bank, I would have played a third of those shows. So my thought is just go and do what you're supposed to do. Time is short, make the most of what you got and then die and stand before God and try and just, you know, there it is. So when I, when I, when I do this, Thomas, it's not about like, you know, for example, every prison show, I have to be there three hours early because I'm the one carrying the heavy equipment and I'm the one setting up. There's no glamour in any of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I'm the one having to tear down. So if I'm there playing two or three shows in prison a day, that's a 16 hour day from the time you wake up 
to the time your head hits the pillow. It's a very grueling day, but it's a glorious day. And I would do 10 times that to play for those who are incarcerated. I had one man hug me and say, I've been in here 56 years and I've never had a visitor. And he wouldn't let go. He said, please come back. I said, sir, I'll definitely be back. He said, no, really, please come back. This was in Massachusetts called the Massachusetts Treatment Center. And it's for sex offenders. And so I get a lot of mail. Why would you go and play for those, you know, and people, you know, insert all kinds of names in there. But, you know, why would you go and play for them? And when you really read the backgrounds of a lot of these men and women, they're unrecognizably human, Thomas. So many of these people have been so, you know, neglected and abused and hurt from the time they were children that, that their, their, their foundation is unrecognizably human. And so, you know what? Our Lord didn't ask me to go in and heal them and fix them. He asked me to go in and play for them. That I can do. Go in and uplift them. That I can do. And so I do my best. I take in the best players possible. And that's the goal. So the goal is twofold. The goal is to play for as many broken as you can. And I'll do that till I have no more air in my lungs, Thomas. And then the second goal is to fight and to teach the world about the impact of beauty. So, you know, with regards to Chesterton and why I care about places like Chesterton, because they're on a wonderful mission to try to get it into the bones of our young. The fight is on. Like all these series on Netflix and all these other series, again, I'm not going to speak specifically, but I will say a lot of them seem to have content that would really be, you know, maybe hurtful in the development of children. Or, you know, a lot of them are very pornographic. A lot of them are very violent. A lot of them have a combination of porn and violence, which is really detrimental to this awe and wonder and beauty that children are supposed to grow up with and children are supposed to be reared with. So my thought is, I love what they're doing with Chesterton. They're getting them to be, you know, they're sort of encouraging the children. They're, they're giving them great material and discussing it and teaching them how to think on their own and how to sort of love and have this awe and wonder for learning. How do you not love that? How do you not get behind that? And so, um, so when people are doing great things, I want my music. And, and if my music can support people who are doing great things, I'll support it all day long. So I have a lot of people calling me, can I use your music for this film and for that film? And if the film is producing and promoting good material, absolutely. I let my music be used for all kinds of great things that build, you know, that build people up. But if you ask me, what's the most profound experience, one of the most profound experiences as human beings we can have, it is to experience live music while the composer is still alive, thank God, you know, but live music with great musicians and, and sort of be moved by that presentation. Not on CD, not in a movie, not any of that, just live. And so that's why I feel very compelled to travel as much as I do and to play in all the corners of the world that I do. And so that's the goal. That's so awesome. That's Eric Jenis talking with me today. And uh, if folks, if you are in Eastern Washington, Northern Idaho. Uh, he is going to be performing at two benefit con uh, concerts. One of them is on May the 23rd. That's just a week from today. And uh, he's going to be uh, at the, uh, it's called the Boxcar Room, which is in downtown Spokane. I'm going to, I'll provide a, a link to that. Again, if you're watching the video of this, you can see how to get tickets. 
Here's uh, the benefit concert coming up on Tuesday, the 23rd. You can click on get tickets right here. And it's going to benefit the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame. It's at the Boxcar Room right on West Pacific Avenue in downtown Spokane. The event begins at 545 and goes until 830 in the evening. Uh, and if you go to Eric's website, uh, ericgenis.com, and again, Genis is G-E-N-U-I-S. Not only can you get access to some incredible uh, videos of portions of performances, you can see the cellist and the violinist, and you can see Eric himself at work there on the piano, um, uh, bringing alive in, in those moments the these beautiful compositions that he has. And you even have some really neat uh, testimonials of uh, the cellist and the violinist and how moved they have been by by having the opportunity to participate with you in these events. It's so much more than just, oh, I'm being paid to do this job. No, they talk oh, yeah. about the personal difference that it makes in their own lives. That they, they get caught up in that sense of mission. Yeah. You know, Thomas, I just want to share with your audience, you know, I really want to personally invite them. I believe in it so much, Thomas, I threw my life at it. And, you know, um, you know, I just played at a rehab center in um, uh, Milwaukee, and it was so, so beautiful. You know, people, you know, they were just, you know, men coming up and, you know, tattooed from head to foot and just in tears and hugging, saying, you know, I've never felt this way before. And so my thought is just come bring the kids. Um, it's it's going to be wonderful. But one of the one of the most um, moving things for me is I was about it was about three minutes to seven and I was going to perform a show and I, I put my phone away I wasn't going to take any calls and I, I pulled it out to close it my show was going to begin at seven I thought oh I'm late putting this thing away because I just like to be quiet before a show my phone rang I didn't recognize the number I shouldn't have taken the call but I thought oh I'll take it so I took it three minutes before a show and it was a guy and he, he didn't let me speak he said hello um you, you won't remember me. You'll never hear from me again. My name is so-and-so. You played at my prison five years ago, and then he named the prison. And I remembered that show. I mean, that was hundreds of prisons ago, only because there were some very famous, you know, inmates there. So I remembered that. And, you know, he said, I was at the end of my rope. He said, all my friends had already sort of committed the act of finality in their life. And I was about to do the same and then it was close to Christmas time. He did the show. He said, oh, and then my cellmate said, you know, come and see the show. He says, I don't want to go in here. Some guy sing Jingle Bells because it was close to Christmas. And he says, I don't think he's going to sing Jingle Bells, you know. And he said, I, so I came to your show because my cellmate said I should go. He said, I was so moved. He said, it gave me the hope I needed to continue. That was five years ago. I'm out. I'll be fine. Uh, you'll never hear from me again, but thank you. And that was it. I never heard from him again. <laughs> wow. But, you know, it was, yeah, I, you know, that's, you get that, you know. I mean, they're at the end of the rope. They live the same life, a life of despair, a life of discouragement, a life of ugliness, a life of no hope. And then when you're in that environment over and over, Thomas, your mind plays tricks on you. And a lot of these people, their families have abandoned them. Tough, right? So when they, when they hug me and they say, you've been my only visitor, one guy said, I've been buried alive the last 25 years tough right but that's those are the stories that i'll be telling and it's going to be a lot of fun there'll be a lot of humor but a lot of fast and furious playing and then a lot of gentle and slow reflective playing we're going to have a lot of variety that, that night toms it's going to be glorious 
That's beautiful. And Eric, I've, Eric, I found the information for the uh, family benefit concert you're doing the next day for the Grant yeah. family on May the 24th. And that's going to be at uh, the Lumen Hall. That's the that's actually on site uh, of the other uh, classical school in the Catholic tradition that just awesome. opened up a year ago in uh, in downtown Coeur d'Alene. So yeah. you're going to be uh, at both locations, which is really cool, or supporting one location and at the other. Uh, and so that's on Wednesday, the 24th of May, benefiting yeah. the Grant family. Um, so Eric, I, I have another question, if uh, that's okay. I wanted to yeah, talk to you good. about... Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, one of my favorite scenes from uh, from a movie called Amadeus, right? And you yeah. probably even know the scene. And I'm saying this because you you had this you have this gift of being a composer, and it's the scene with Salieri is visiting <laughs> with Mozart's wife, and she comes with a folder full of music, and he starts flipping the pages, and then yeah. that other great composition of Mozart, and he can just look at it and and set, and he can. He knows what the music is just by looking at the notes. So two things. Yeah. I mean, that that scene, it just blows me away. And secondly, yeah. can people do that? Can people actually look at a, uh, like a, the actual line uh, sheets of music and know what music is is there? <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there, there definitely are people that, that can do that. Like when you, when you look at a score and then you know what the music sounds like. So what I used to do when I was in high school um, you know, Tom, to, to sort of relate to that a little bit, um, you know, before the Internet, if I wanted to hear music, you know, we didn't have the money for a lot of albums when I was a kid. So if I wanted to hear music, I had to go to the library. And when I heard Rachmaninoff and Bach and Mozart, um, Rachmaninoff shot right through me, just just, you know, filled me with emotion. It was really incredible. Um, Mozart is, I mean, it's a brilliant, but Bach, perhaps I think, is maybe the most brilliant person to have ever lived. And his gift to the world, I think, is perhaps the most profound gift, better than the internet, you know. And I used to go and just um, listen. I'd have the recording of um, Bach St. Matthew's Passion. It's where we get our sacred head surrounded from. It's about the passion, you know. And um, like, for example, um, it so it tells a story. It would be like Handel's Messiah is the story of the birth of Christ. This is the story of the passion. And I used to look at the music and, and listen to the recording at the same time. And Thomas, I cannot tell you the profound effect it had on me. Here I am, a 14-year-old kid, just sort of going through the score, listening to this thing over and over and thinking, how, how does anybody write this? This is truly profound. And you know, I think it was then that I decided, really, I really, you know, I mean, I loved composing, but I, I, I sat there and was just so taken by it. But I was also so taken by his individuality and his, his clear love for the transcendent, for, for God, you know. He wrote for the greater glory of, for God alone on every sheet of music. Isn't that beautiful? For God I didn't alone. Know that. Yeah, for God alone. Um, and, and the beautiful thing is, is that, his work truly is transcendent, you know? Um, and so when you, when you listen to Bach, it's so moving. So when you, when you think of, you know, anybody looking at Mozart and being overwhelmed with the profound nature of the composing, that's appropriate. Anybody looking at Bach should almost take a sort of, a, 
a deep sigh, not of just respect, but of admiration. Um, his work is something that everybody should listen to. For example, you know, you think of a Bach fugue. It sounds if, if it sounds just like a regular piece of music. If you know what a fugue is, you realize this is unbelievable, unbelievably brilliant and intricate and complex and simple. Um, so, yeah, I think everybody should at least, you know, you don't have to be a great musician to study that. All you really need to do is just kind of know a little bit about the background of it and then drink it in and listen to the different motives that characterize certain pieces of music. I think that kind of music appreciation will put everything on a completely different level. So when people say, I don't understand classical music, well, it wouldn't take much to understand it to the level that you would appreciate it and recognize there is something deeply profound about so much of this, right? But there's going to be a lot of Bach that won't move you, okay? But there there will be enough that does, and it'll. there will be enough that helps you recognize this is a completely different category. So when I go into the prisons, and, you know, a lot of guys will say, you know, that like, this is a, a great story for you, Thomas. I was in a youth prison, and I'm standing beside the warden before the show. I love this. And the this boy comes up to the warden, doesn't know who I am, doesn't even know I'm performing, thought I was just a friend of the warden, goes up to the warden and says, warden, what did I do so bad that you hate me so much that you're going to make me sit through a violin concert for two hours? And I thought, beautiful. I, so I said to him, I said, oh, I don't blame you. I don't want to hear a violin concert either. That's torture. I said, but wait till you hear my violinist. At the end of the show, this same boy comes up, doesn't know a violin at all. But his perception of the violin is, I'm not going to relate to that. So when you think about his reaction on a deeper level, I'm going to relate to almost anything else that we would perhaps consider concerning, but I'm not going to relate to that, which we would consider something much higher. That's a poverty, Thomas. Okay. So that discussion alone says something about our culture. We have all this access to the profound and yet our children are hungering more and more for the lower. Well, why? Like, what are we doing? You know? So, so at the end of the show, this boy comes up and gives a big hug. And he says, never been so moved. Thank you for coming. And I said, oh, no, it was great. He said, no, thank you. And I said, oh, no, we had a great time. No, thank you. He was trying to express something that he couldn't say, you know, and the boy didn't let go. And he was just hugging me and he wouldn't let go. And all I could think about was, thank you, Lord. There's something going on in this boy right now that, I am, I'm not invited to, Lord, but God willing, it brought him closer to you because I talk about their dignity in the, in the, um, in the concert, profound. I, I hit them hard with who they are, you know, and who they really were meant to be and how to regard themselves, even though they're in this world of ugliness, how to always regard themselves with this profound beauty and this profound dignity. So, so you know, the, the, the concept how you know, music jumps out at you. You don't need to know anything about the violin to be moved by the violin. So yes, the concept of, you know, does music speak? Oh, loudly. And, um, and beauty speaks. But one last thing I'll comment on. Mozart lived when Mozart lived. I didn't live then, 
I live now. And so I'm very sensitive and I'm not comparing myself to Mozart. What I'm doing is trying to say that the, the, the psychology, the, 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 the mental awareness and the emotional, I think is very different now than perhaps then. And I think, you know, I'm trying to write music that's very tender, but very intense all at the same time. I'm trying to make them sort of cry, but go in deep. You know, when you think about music, music is beauty, Thomas. It can be beauty that goes in and it cuts the toughness, the coolness, the betrayal, the hurt, everything, and goes right to the soul. For that boy to sit there and cry in my arms and say that, you know, and culturally you would say, oh, there's nothing that that boy is going to relate to that you as an old man are going to relate to. You live two different lives, two different experiences. There's no connection here. Boy, was there ever a connection, you know? So all that stuff about, all oh, you know, you can't speak to the kids, all that is a myth. You give the kids beauty in a way that they can internalize it. They will respond. And so I think, why don't we give it? And so, Thomas, that's a big part. So when you mentioned about that scene in that movie, Amadeus, yes, music does jump out. You can hear the whole score. They can get it, even though they don't have a clue. And I notice when I'm in an environment where the sound is good, like I have great sound system but if i'm in a gym that really reverberates and the sound is horrible they'll really love you know enjoy the concert but when the sound is really good they're so much more moved they won't be able to articulate why they don't need to you don't need to talk about the fine playing of the violin to just sit there to be in awe of what you just heard and that's the goal so when my concerts draw people from going that was the most moving thing i've ever seen to just yeah that was cool that's when I retire. The goal of my work, Thomas, I want to go in and touch their soul and uplift their humanity. That's And as long as I feel I, I can do that through the grace of God, through the gift that God has given me, I will work tirelessly. And I do. I do. You know, like on this trip coming up, I'll give you an example. I'm in Spokane on night one. I'm driving six hours to Bend, Oregon to play one show one night. And then the next night, it's an all-night drive to play four shows in Pelican Bay Super Maximum Security Prison. So I'll be getting no sleep for four days straight, you know? And then the next day I'm in Pelican Bay, it's five shows. And then it's an all an eight-hour drive, an all-night drive back to Seattle to play in prisons in Seattle. Why? Because I believe in it. And, th and that was the opportunity. And I'm taking it. And I'll take it all day long. Eric, there's something very powerful about what you're doing. I mean, you're witnessing to all of us to this corporal work of mercy, right? Visiting those that are imprisoned. And you know, I'm sure you're aware that at the time of Jesus, uh, there was a lot at stake in prisoners getting visitors because prisoners then did not get food. So they literally relied for their lives on having visitors visitors that would come and, and literally bring them food or they'd just literally die. And um, <clears throat> in addition to that, there was the social stigma. If you went and visited that prisoner, that was a socially shaming thing to do. And in some ways it feels like you're doing something that is, that has a, by analogy, a lot of connecting points that, you know, they're, they're given food in prison, but are they given food for their souls? Are they yeah. given um, access to dimensions of their of their heart of their souls that that are blocked off, 
right? But that can be reached through the performance of live, beautiful music. It can yeah. reach around locked doors. It can go and mm -hmm. through secret places to get and to stir them in ways that um, the the day to day lives that they're living. Yeah, they might actually be in a in, in a in a place where that's secure and gives them the basic necessities. But is it going to bring? Uh, is it going to uplift the heart? Is it going to move the spirit? Is it going to give hope? Right. These are things that mm -hmm. that God is doing through your concerts. And, yeah. and I love that. And I just want to uh, acknowledge and, and affirm that. And folks, I, just to say, it's not only, it's he, he's not only speaking to prisoners in prisons, really at every concert, there are people that are experiencing these kind of prisons, right? You know yeah. this, I'm sure very well, that you're going to be at a beautiful, a couple of beautiful venues when you're here in, in Spokane and in Coeur d'Alene, you know, lovely ve venues with visibly lovely people. Uh, supporting lovely causes, but in the midst of all that loveliness is also a lot of brokenness, a lot yes. of people that are imprisoned, a lot yeah. of people who uh, also need to be lifted up and out of the ordinary prisons of their daily lives. And yeah. I think that that's a powerful reason, folks, uh, to come to this event, to come to these concerts. Um, again, the, the concerts that we're talking about, uh, there's a benefit concert happening uh, a week from today, on Tuesday the 23rd, uh, this benefit concert, it's benefiting the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame, and it's at the Boxcar Room in Spokane, Washington. Again, if you go to the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame website, which is chestertonacademyofnotredame.org, uh, you'll be able to find that information. In addition, the following day on the 24th, at the uh, at the site of the Court of Christ uh, classical Academy in the Catholic tradition in downtown Coeur d'Alene, there's an e a benefit concert for the Grant family in loving memory of Sarah Grant. Uh, Sarah was a mom who passed away uh, a, a, a couple of months back, uh, sadly, um, and sacrificially for the, uh, and so there's a really powerful story there you've probably heard. Uh, but that's happening on the 24th of May, which is a week from tomorrow. And so, again, you can go to eventbrite.com, eventbrite.com. And if you type in um, uh, Eric's name, you'll get access to this information. So, Eric, uh, you're busy about many things. Uh, you're pouring, you're living a poured out life, right? It's when I think about what I want to live in, in the service of the Lord. I want to live a poured out life where... <laughs> I get to the end of my life and I don't feel like I wasted time. Yeah. I feel like I use the gifts that the Lord has given me and I didn't let myself get distracted. I diverted into things that the world would applaud, but missed out on a higher uh, applause of heaven. Uh, yeah. the, the glory of, of the heavenly choirs uh, being pleased and being magnified through the work that you're doing. So in the last uh, couple of minutes that remain, what would be your final words for us? I think that's a great, I think what you said is a great last word. When you think about, um, you know, St. Teresa of Lisieux died in obscurity, right? But we're talking about her, you know, a couple hundred years later, you know, or, and I just sort of look at it and I think she made a profound effect, but her life seemed silly, you know? And I look at this and I think, you know, what, what do the saints over and over teach us? Number one, prayer and sacraments. Thomas, I can work till, you know, to the bone, but there's no substitute for prayer and sacraments. Go in front of that tabernacle, stare. Like I go and I go to daily mass, Thomas, not because I'm holy, 
but because I need God. I need God. You know, that's I, I just even if I just go and hi, Lord, I'm here. I'm distracted. I'm worried. I feel discouraged, but I'm here. So I'm just going to stare at you for a while. And I just think everything we can do to make your prayer like every minute of the day, you know, because we need and our Lord will respond and he won't always respond with comfort or with joy. You know, and very often he'll leave us in the dark. Keep going. You know, so I, I often think, you know, prayer and sacraments. Number two, when you talk about, you know, the, you know, with regards to obscurity, I think of all these famous people that have passed away already forgotten. And I just think, you know, don't, don't worry about any of that stuff. It has no meaning how much you leave behind or all that stuff. It has no meaning. All that has meaning is what we do for our Lord and what we do to bring other people, other souls, you know, to God. So, and I'm not saying I have all that together, Thomas. That's my prayer and that's my hope. But you look at the models of some of these saints like St. Teresa of Lisieux, so simple, but yet so profound. And, and so, you know, I look at, I think God gave me the gift of music. He didn't give me the gift of politics. So right now we're living in a very politically difficult time. There's a lot of despair because of COVID and because of inflation. He didn't give me that fight either. So I'm not going to let those things discourage me from the lane he's given me. He's given me the music. He wants me to do things on those, on those fronts. I'll do them. But right now that's not what he's asking of me. So I'm not going to let him get to discourage me. So prayer, sacraments your family you make sure you and and just stay in your lane with what god is asking you to do and go hard and do it with as much joy and recognize that it's a gift from god and every day just give it to him and that's it so th there's no again there's no glory this isn't about oh you know you know the the amazing performer it has nothing to do with that this is one broken man going to share with a broken audience and I am thrilled to do it and we're going to have a ball and I can't wait to get there. That's beautiful. That's Eric Janis again joining me today on the program. Eric, what a delight. You've been very generous in giving me your time and folks, you don't want to miss him. Come out next Tuesday, the 23rd uh, at the Boxcar uh, Room in, um, in Spokane or at uh, the Lumen Hall, that's uh, uh, the location of Court of Christ on the 24th, a benefit concert for the Grant family. Eric, thank you so much for taking thank time with me today in the program. Oh, God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.